0: Hello, and welcome to the Understanding Autism podcast, where we talk about issues related to those in the autism and greater neurodiverse community. I'm your co-host, Brett Thayer.
1: And I am Nicole Kabilis. Today's episode is about autistic perseveration. We're going to discuss what perseveration is, the difference between perseveration and fixations or special interests, the root causes of perseveration, the neuroscience of perseveration, when perseveration becomes problematic, and the do's and don'ts of addressing perseveration.
0: Okay, so the first thing to do is talk about what perseveration is, right? The definition is the experience of being stuck, stuck in something. in mental, It could be a mental block or something like that, but it could also be in speech, in movement, or um, where thinking is repeated over and over again, without the person intending to do it. So it's like this involuntary fixation that this person has. Um, It could be a way to cope with overwhelm and anxiety. Um, And it could be a a sign of struggling to switch from one subject to the next, or one topic to the next, or one problem to the next, right? You're just kind of stuck in something. So give you an example. All right, so um, a common example of perseveration is losing or misplacing an object, which we all do. Um, but someone who that perseverates might be engrossed in a thought or activity that they forgot where they placed an object, let's say, their car keys. Uh, when looking for the object, that person will look in the same familiar places that object should be in. When they can't find it, they get stuck on the frustration that they can't find it and then get anxious and stressed out about it and what life would look like without that object. So that's a consequence of their action. So they, this is the thought process that's going through their mind. Uh, that person doesn't have the flexible thinking to look in other places or to try again at another time when they're more calm. So Nicole, does this ever happen to you?
1: It does. Uh, And actually in, I think it's the episode after this one. Uh, Oh, no, actually, I think it's a couple episodes from now. Uh, We're gonna be doing an episode on autism and object permanence. And so this is one of the big struggles is when people with autism have object permanence issues or working memory issues, they forget where they place important objects. Mm. And I do this all the time. Uh, I come home and I just throw my phone and my keys wherever I want and I forget where I put them. And then when it's time to go out to run an errand or go to work, I Mm. have no idea where it is. And if I'm tight on time or I'm feeling impatient... I just feel like I default to, you know, predictable areas where I would think those things are. Mm-hmm. And it's like a a knee-jerk response to get so heated and frustrated mm-hmm. about, you know, why can't I find those keys? And so I it it's a little bit of low frustration tolerance and a little bit of, you know, object impermanence and mm-hmm. And it's like the perseveration happens around getting upset at myself
0: right. about you know I
1: mean. how why why would you create your own problem with this and mm-hmm. and then um and then it turns into okay well you know you're getting frustrated take a break but then I can't let go of the fact that I can't find my keys and that's a really really important thing so then my mind spirals to like am I stuck in the house or you know what am I going to do If Mm -hmm. I don't have my keys and the extra frustrating part is I know they're in my apartment. Yes. And it's like, I know that they're there, but I can't find them. And so that that's kind of the feeling of perseveration. It's like you can't let go of looking for that important object. And then at the same time, you perseverate on the anger and the anxiety of Mm -hmm. not being able to find that important object.
0: Oh, I think we can all relate to that.
1: Yeah. So we're going to revisit that example with a couple of different themes. You know, today we're focusing on perseveration. Our next episode is on low low frustration tolerance. And then we're going to have a future episode about object permanence. And so they all kind of merge together to create a good concoction of struggle.
0: (laughs) So much fun. So much fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So what is the difference between perseveration and fixation? A fixation is the experience of being engrossed in something that makes you feel excited, engaged, and regulated. It stems from a place of pleasure. Perseverance stems from a place of distress. The perseverating behavior is a result of expressing stress or regulating slash coping with the stress. As As an artist and a former art teacher, I'll give you an example. A fixation would be making art for hours on end on your own time. All you think about is your creative ideas and you're jonesing to get everything down onto paper. From the perspective of perseveration, there is a deadline for an art project which you might be struggling with. You stress out about getting the project done on time and perfecting it to the best of your ability. You won't stop thinking about it until it's finished. A special interest topic could be seen as a perseveration because the repetition of the topic might be a way to distract from stressful thoughts and feelings.
0: Yeah. All right. So what are some root causes? And again, keep this in mind that when when I'm talking about root causes, um, people on the spectrum could experience some of these, um, many of these, a few of these, but in different um, intensities as well, right? So... Just something to keep in mind. So some root causes could be anxiety, depression, anger, stress, um, low processing speed, Um, struggling with understanding social cues. For example, not knowing what else to talk about other than what you are thinking and feeling in the moment, Uh, worry and anticipation about future events, Um, inflexible thinking, not having self-soothing skills, Uh, being hyper-focused on something, Uh, difficulty difficulty in regulating impulses, Um, having struggles way to cope with stress of transition and change, which is a big theme, Um, getting clarity on details related to the situation. So it might come off that the person is asking the same question over and over again, but that person may uh, perceive that they are talking about the same question from a different perspective to get clarity on various details that are exasperating anxiety. Um, When the brain is hardwired for routine, order, and predictability, perseveration is a result of something in the routine feeling out of order and unpredictable. And lastly, sensory discomfort, such as not being able to focus on anything other than the discomfort of the scratchy clothing tag. Again, something I can relate to as a parent.
1: (laughs) So when it comes to the neuroscience of perseveration, there was a study conducted by Yuko Munakata, Bruce Morton, and Jennifer Merva Stedron, and they wrote a paper called The Role of Prefrontal Cortex in Perseveration, Developmental and Computational Explorations. This was not a study done on exclusively autistic children. It showed that neurotypical infants, toddlers, and children can also perseverate. The development of the prefrontal cortex determines flexible thinking and behavior. This is based on latent memory, other words, past info, and active memory, or current info, conflicting with each other. So it's a competition between two types of information. Flexible thinking is increased with active memory strengthened, which is called working memory. So, perseveration reinforces black-and-white thinking, and then infants and adults perseverate because they fail to process relevant information when the, tax, the task changes, which is also related to slow processing speed.
0: Okay, so that goes into when does perseveration become problematic, right? If we, if we experience this, um, neurotypical people as well as um, people on the spectrum, when is it a problem? Well, if the, if the behavior or thoughts or actions escalate, Anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, physical harm, and/or social alienation. Right. Um, One thought is that you shouldn't intervene if the behavior is harmless because we all have it, but um, it comes off as annoying to somebody else. So that kind of goes into okay. How do I know the difference? And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Okay. So how do you address uh, perseveration if if it becomes problematic? So one one common thing to do is um, if a person is um, stuck in this cycle right this mental cycle or something something that's worked for for my son is to create external actions to help them break this mental block that they're in right and I'll give you an example later when we when we talk about this but it's the the external actions help that person shifts out of their internal distress and breaks that spiraling um, cycle that they're engaged in um, another a good idea would be to encourage movement, right? And this could be like go for a run or do a walk or yoga or something, other grounding exercises, which is getting the body engaged slowly, taking the person out of their head and channeling that stuck energy into something else. Um, Mindfulness exercises are are good techniques. That is about taking a break from the thoughts. could be meditation or yoga, for example. Um, Nicole, do you have experience about mindfulness activities that help.
1: Yeah. So I've been practicing meditation since I was 16, yoga and meditation. And a big part of that had to do with helping manage my anxiety struggles as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm i at the point where I, I can sit down and meditate up to one to two hours. And wow. so not, and I wouldn't say that I do that regularly. It's kind mm-hmm. of an on and off thing. But because I've done it so long, my body knows that when I sit in a certain position or it prepares itself to do meditation, it immediately goes into that that space of non-attachment with thoughts. And granted, this isn't something that happens instantly. It's been years and years of practice. What I've noticed is that when I... When I go into that meditation posture, it's a lot easier for me to let go of those perseverating thoughts than if I'm not in a meditation, I'm just in my normal day-to-day life and I'm perseverating and I'm like, oh, go into this mindfulness space, detach from your thoughts. So it really comes down to being in that mindfully intentional space, carving out time to be in that mindfully intentional space rather than mindfulness on the go. So that's what's helped me a lot. And, you know, that perseveration is kind of about like having an attachment to a thought. And, you know, whether you consciously or or not, having a hard time letting it go. So if your mind gets training through meditation to be able to recognize that thoughts can be flexible, that you can let them go, or even to be able to say, uh, I'm going to shove... I'm going to shelf this Mm -hmm. for the time being so I can focus on something else. I actually, uh, I was watching the Today Show recently and there was a woman on there who's a, she's like a positive psychologist. She's a happiness expert. And one of her pieces of advice was, if you're going to worry, carve out time in your day as if you have an appointment to just worry. And she said that that can really help with, not being stuck in a perseverating state because if you don't have that designated time to worry, you're just gonna worry your entire day. Maybe mm. that would help for people with autism because we mm. really like structure. I know for me, if I'm given a timer or time right, restrictions right. from another person to say, you know, I will listen to you, but I'm only gonna listen to you for an X amount of time. Mm. I I guess that accountability has helped me to set boundaries with my own brain to be able to say, Hey, we're done. Like you had your moment to perseverate and Mm. now we're not getting anywhere. And I will also add to like my husband and I have that agreement where he says, if you perseverate, you're only going to perseverate for an hour. You know, Mm. he kind of wants to treat it like a therapy session. Like I cannot listen to you longer than an hour. I have to decompress, you know, Mm. I want to be able to make dinner. And just right, have right. a good time with you and i guess what we realized is that nothing productive comes out of that perseveration if you're talking about the same thing for longer than an hour See. and i don't realize that because as you said earlier if i'm asking the same question over and over and over i'm i'm picking apart details so that mm. i can feel empowered and confident in the midst of all of those little triggers that are making right. me perseverate. And, uh, and I don't know, I think for my bias, I thought it was helpful. And when my husband sets boundaries, I do think sometimes it's for him, but I also think part of it is for me because you just get so lost in your head. Um, I have a therapist who calls it getting hooked. And, you know, if I, if I have a really hard time getting out of that hook, Then my husband will say, okay, I can see that you're still stuck. We talked for an hour. What else can you do to get yourself unstuck? Do you need to go exercise? Do you need to go meditate? Do you need to make art? And, you know, having that choice of just doing an activity that gets me out of my head Mm
0: -hmm. really
1: helps with that perseveration. But sometimes I can't get myself out of my head. And if I am able to get myself out of my head, that comes with a lot of time doing mindfulness training and mindfulness training isn't for everybody, but Mm -hmm. I do think, you know, mindfulness is definitely helpful even to just be aware, you know, to say, oh, this is perseveration and here are my action steps to take. So it's, it's not just about you know, solving a problem that's creating the perseveration. It's about how do I pivot from my perseverating thought to something right. else? So then that way, when you're broken out of that thought, then maybe some fresh perspectives can come up or you're able to relax a little bit and and see it differently.
0: Hmm. Yeah, those sounds like really good ideas. So I, I like how um, your husband can Talk to you about, you know, what, what are some things that you can do? So it's an empowering statement, number one, but it's not patronizing. Number two, like for, for example, saying, okay, you're just per- perseverating and I'm, I'm done talking to you. You know, he's, that's mm-hmm. not the conversation. It's more, um, structured into helping you. Right. So I think that's a, a great way to, um, to call your attention to that.
1: Yeah. Right? yeah. In, in
0: a positive way.
1: Yeah. And I, <sighs> And the truth is I think even neurotypical people can perseverate and I do think being in any close, deep relationship, whether that's a romantic partner or parents, it's important to set those boundaries because you don't want the energy of that relationship to be consumed by perseveration.
0: Right, right. Right. And negative energy. We don't want that being well,
1: yeah, yeah. And I and it's just not a healthy habit to no, for, for sure. the person with autism, as well as, you know, the people who are listening to it. And I will also say that those boundaries can also really help with fixations, mm. you know, because fixations can make us so excited and we want to talk about it for hours and hours and hours. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we think about it from the perspective of teaching, you know, we can't talk for a certain amount of time, depending on the age group that we're working with, because they start getting distracted, like they can't focus on what you're talking about for five minutes, let's say. And so we as teachers have to be really succinct, or we have to be really good about saying, okay, like, I'm going to talk for five minutes, and then we're going to do an activity. And then we're going to, you know, then we're going to talk, and then we're going to discuss stuff, you know, Mm -mm. so there's a little more variety for engaging attention. And so I think that those boundaries are good. And I think it's good to talk about those boundaries when the person is not in a fixation or perseveration state. Because Definitely. if, if Definitely. that neurotypical person says, I, I just can't listen to you that long, mm-hmm. and that person is in that fixation state, it can feel very hurtful, it can feel alienating to that right, person right. with autism. So I think when you're not in that headspace then the neurotypical person can say let's talk about limitations and let's talk about why and really not make right. it necessarily about the the comfort level of the neurotypical person listening it could also be like hey let's talk about attention span you know right, let's right. talk about your attention span as it relates to you as a neurodiverse person and let's talk about it in relationship to neurotypical people so you know if a If my parent is like, I I really enjoy what you're talking about, but I just can't maintain focus as long as you want me to. So let's talk Mm -hmm. about strategies of how you can share what you enjoy or share the things that are stressing you out in a way where I have the energy to engage. I'm Mm -hmm. engaging in a time that works for me. You know, so there's that collaborative energy there. Right. And then, again, the other the other part of it is helpful is that um autistic people, we live in our heads. we mm. have very minimal relationships with our bodies. So when we get wrapped up in our heads, we forget to move. Right. And sometimes that perseveration is just stuck energy that mm. needs to get purged out of our bodies. And sometimes, like I know for me, I'm a verbal processor. Mm -hmm. I need to get that energy out verbally. But sometimes that energy is so big Mm -hmm. that it just can't be resolved through talking. And so having some sort of kinetic activity can Mm -hmm. really help get that perseverance energy migrating to a different part of the body. Mm -hmm. And so then that way-
0: So like walking and talking to yourself.
1: Well, and that that could be something, you know, let's say if, if you are perseverating- and, you know, your support person goes, hey, let's go for a walk while you're perseverating or, mm. hey, let's go hit the gym mm-hmm, while you're mm-hmm. talking about it. Or, hey, um, maybe while you're drawing, scribble in a sketchbook. Sure. Um, I know that, uh, you know, later in our notes, it was it was talking about, like, alternative forms of expression per, for perseverance. And they're singing like, what would it look like if you sang exactly. the thoughts on your on your mind? And so, you that know, I would be I, an experience. I, yeah, so I think I I do think it's healthy for people with autism to dispel that perseverance in alternative ways besides just verbal vomiting it all out. Right, right. And and to just explore like okay, so you you vented your thoughts through this vehicle. Did mm-hmm. that help? and And ultimately, we don't want to perseverate. We don't want this right, right. buildup of energy. But sometimes when we perseverate, it escalates that energy. And so, you know, again, having that that body expression to be able to move it out can help us to get unstuck right,
0: yeah. So other um examples of um how you address this. Okay. So you talked about journaling making art, singing, for example, it's its finding other ways to get rid of that energy. Um, finding this alternative form can create awareness of the loop and better express the thing that's creating a f- the feeling of being stuck. And um, can I, I add
1: something with the, the art piece of it? Go for it. So one reason that those alternative forms of expression are helpful, uh, especially for autistic people that struggle to communicate or are nonverbal, Art is a way to get those feelings out when words just feel stuck in our bodies or words aren't able to encapsulate how we feel. So there's two types of way that you can make art from an art therapy perspective. One is product-based creation. Mm -hmm. And so the goal of that is, let's say you're perseverating on something and you create artwork about the exact thing that you're perseverating on Mm -hmm. or... Another example is creating an illustration of how you feel about that mm-hmm. trigger or how you want to overcome that perseverance and and that can be a way of shifting. The other piece of it is process based. So that's where I was talking about earlier where you just grab a pencil and you're mm-hmm. just scribbling or you know you yeah. grab a paintbrush and you're just slapping paint on and you're making marks and and the goal is not to make this beautiful complete image. The art is about you know, using the art materials as a way to get pent up emotions out mm. of you. So, so it might get messy. Two, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it depends on the materials you're using, right. but those can all be really great ways to express that perseveration. Yep. And and also to, you know, the process of making art, depending on, you know, what it is like, let's say if, you know, if you perseverate and you talk for hours and hours and hours, And then all of a sudden you grab a paintbrush and you, you know, slap paint on a canvas for five minutes and all of a sudden you feel better. Mm. Or the other option is you create this highly detailed illustration and the amount of time that you're hyper fixating on that artwork, Mm. that's probably the amount of time that you would spend on your perseveration anyway. Mm. And so it's sort of like you're getting that, that, uh, what do you call it? The, the endless time that that perseveration creates. Um, But it's getting it out in a different way that doesn't tax you as the person who's experiencing the perseverance, and it doesn't tax the people who are the sounding boards for that perseverance. All right.
0: So another um, example here is that you can set a timer for the full expression of the perseverating thought followed by some kind of grounding exercise. Even that involves Somebody squeezing you or something like that, which sounds like um, EFT therapy to me. Um, seeking therapy for itself. I mean, if, if the perseveration becomes so problematic that now we're thinking um, of suicide or something like that, got to get a therapist in there to help, um, help with that for sure. Um, with discretion, validate the root of the pre- perseveration in an empathetic manner. Validate how the person is feeling. Um, but you know this this all depends on the situation, right? Because sometimes validating their feelings could either make the person feel hurt, heard and calm down, or it can be a, reinforcing the uh, the root cause of the perseveration um, in the first place. Okay, so some things not to do when addressing perseveration: set a set a boundary in a way that the person with autism feels shamed, restricted, or unheard, which is what you just talked about when we're not um, addressing this and an empathetic manner. We're just saying, I just can't listen to you anymore, right? Um, walking away when somebody's perseveration when it gets too intense, right? A- again, you're you're the signal that you're sending the person who um, is going through this is I, I don't care about you, um, which is which is harmful, right? This could lead to a meltdown and feeling of an abandonment, um, and using harmful physical means. So this for a person on the spectrum, and maybe this would be a sign that we'd look for as like parents or caretakers or teachers. Um, if the autistic person is kind of stressed out and they're they're physically harming themselves, right? Cutting, burning, biting, that kind of thing.
1: Mm-hmm. So, Brett, what was your son Josh's experience like with perseveration, and how did you handle that as a parent?
0: Well, it it kind of something that um, we addressed over time on what could really help. In that in that moment where he's getting stuck in something and um, it would happen a lot when he was a child so the the thing that we were able to do is kind of look for those signs right we're looking for that spiraling behavior Right, I'm getting stuck in something we're hearing the same things um, over and over again on his level of frustration he's, so he's saying the same thing on why he's frustrated and it's repeating so he's perseverating on something and it's building up Right. And I know from experience that this is going to lead to a meltdown. So, what I did was, um, I just gave him a hug. Right. I went up to him and I just held him. And that more often than not got him out of that um, of his, the space in his head where I'm stuck on this. Right. So, it's almost like a record player and the record player needle is stuck on that same loop. And it's just repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating, and so that hug got that uh, needle to move just a little bit, so he could recognize, oh, it's okay, I'm I'm stuck on this, and then he could go to some other thought. So that was helpful for us.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, Nicole, I, ha- I have. How some, about uh, your experience? Go ahead. Well, I wanted to react to some things you had shared about sure. that. So we have four four episodes of the sensory processing disorder. It was supposed four. to be we, two And then we got in very, a lot very long. of things.
0: Yes. Yeah. We both related so, to that one for sure.
1: Yeah. So, one of the things we talked about in that episode was a reassessment. And I do think having positive sensory input can really help with perseveration. So, I was thinking about when you hug Josh, not only does that make a person with autism not feel abandoned when they mm-hmm. are perseverating, but also, um, if if that person responds to proprioception and deep pressure and mm-hmm. that helps them to get out of their heads, that mm-hmm. can be really helpful. So my positive sensory soothers are like tactile. I really enjoy mm-hmm. soft things. So mm-hmm. I wonder if I'm able to get out of my perseveration, if I'm able to like pet an animal or I'm able Mm. to kind of like swaddle myself in my weighted blanket that's super super soft Mm -hmm. or i have a i have like an um one of those like neck pillows that you can microwave and it's lavender scented and it's it's like super super soft material and so yeah so i i wonder if that's kind of a a a piece of it and and i think it also reinforces what i was talking about earlier that we need things that get us out of our head and connect to our body, and those mm. sensory experiences can be a big part of that. The other thing that I am curious about from your perspective as a parent is if a person with autism is in that perseveration state, mm. what do you think is the difference between perseveration that does eventually lead to decompression because they just need to get it out of this their system versus Perseveration that escalates somebody to a meltdown
0: Um, I don't know. I mean, it it, like like you said, and we we talked about um before, when uh, a person on the spectrum is in meltdown mode or um with they're perseverating, that's not the time to really address what the root causes are. So the only way I would know to answer that question, if I'm understanding the question correctly is, Um, how do you know the difference would be to, after that is over and, and we're back to rational thinking to have that conversation, Mm -hmm. right? So what, you know, what's, what got you stuck, um, and try to figure out what, what those things were and help that person figure out, it's like, oh, I got stuck on this. It's like, okay, how are you feeling now? What, you know, what, or, you know, eventually what can we do to, um, you know, think about this in the future, if it's, if it's like losing keys, for example. And when you, when you said that, that got me into, you know, I hate losing things. Like, um, two things that really bug me for sure is losing my wedding ring and losing my car keys. And so what I do, because I've learned that I get super frustrated if I can't find it. And I, you know, I was walking through the whole thing when you were saying how frustrating it was to um, lose your keys. It's like, I do that all the time. So I have like two places in the house that my ring is going to go. And if it's got to be in one of those two places. And I intentionally say to myself, okay, if I'm taking up my wedding ring because I'm cooking or washing my hands, it's going right here. And that's the only place it's going to be other than one other place. And same with my car keys. It's like I have one set of Place where that's gonna be when I when I get home, you know, it's it always goes right there. And so I educate my wife on this because you know if she takes the keys, it's it's gotta go right here, honey. When you're done, please put it right back here. Okay, okay, we're good. And and the way that I you know just to jump ahead at, um, of this a little bit, the way I helped with Josh and his uh, frustrating of losing things because it happens all the time. And I read this in a parent magazine or something. It's like. Um, have like a launching pad area in your home where the backpack goes and it's all ready to go out the next day or the, um, have your clothes ready um, folded on a chair next to the bed right so we're not we're not in a rush trying to get out the door and we're trying not trying to find things it's a it's you know because i'm stressed because we're going to be late he's stressed because i'm stressed and that's not a happy situation for anybody so Get your backpack ready the night before, put it by the door. Get your clothes ready, what you're going to wear, have that folded, get ready um, next to the chair. And it reduces stress and that anxiety. And and we just get in that habit.
1: It's funny that you use the term launch pad because my neurodiverse brain is like, oh, I'm going to launch my keys (laughs) because I walk in and I go, oh, I'm going to just throw everything down because I want to go lie down in bed and and just be like, you know, no. all right, like there's, there's the launch pad. Like,
0: yeah, that's not going to work.
1: No, well, it might work for <laughs> some people, but, um, you know, I guess going back to answering my own question, cause I I'm in training to be a somatic therapist mm-hmm. and I'm trying to put my somatic therapy hat on. And especially speaking from personal experience with perseveration, I think that. I don't, I guess it depends on your relationship with your child and and the age appropriateness. But I do think sometimes when there is perseveration, and I know like sometimes I do this with my somatic therapist is if I'm, you know, talking and then let's say after five or 10 minutes, then the person I'm talking to could say, all right, let's do a body check. Are you feeling escalated or depleted? And so, you know, so then that way, there's a little more awareness for the person with autism to the to go, oh, I'm feeling depleted, so maybe the talking is working to help me calm down. And I know, like, for me, when I perseverate, like, I'm a problem solver, and so sometimes, like, a big reason I perseverate is because I need a solution that I don't have. Mm. And so... I think sometimes when I vent and I perseverate it's just like let me tell you every single detail about the thing I'm going through what mm. is your solution or what are your thoughts okay and and I do think being able to talk to somebody who is very grounded and very rational I know that kind of brings me down mm. a bit uh I don't know I just can't even imagine like talking to somebody who gets gets escalated the way I do. But I yeah, do think, okay. you know, having that, that ability to just check in with yourself and say, okay, is the talking helping or not? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and if you notice, and and I think parents and significant others, if you're noticing, notice body language. Yes. So if you see Definitely. as the person's talking, you know, those micro movements where it's like, okay, mm-hmm. they're starting to settle and, and relax into the couch. Then you go. Okay, the talking is helping, right? And you know, or they're tensed up and they're
0: not looking at you, and yeah,
1: right. Or you need to just let the engine run until it it dies down. Now, Mm -hmm. if they're escalated, that can be a really good time to intervene, where you can say, "All right, let's take a movement break," Mm -hmm. or you know, "Let's go outside," or um, I know, like the somatic therapy training I'm doing. um, Some people will say. Yeah, you know, all right, I want you to take a beanbag and I want you to throw it in the air, you know, throw it in the air and catch it. Or I mm-hmm. want you to, yeah, you exactly. know, take an exercise ball and just start hitting it, mm-hmm. you know? And 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 I think sometimes somatic therapists are trying to get people to do that because we as adults, we don't engage our body as a way to let go of, of stuck energy. So sometimes the mm-hmm. somatic therapist will say, you know, all right, we're going to take a break. So you can do this body movement. All right, let's see how you feel. Or let's talk. And while you're talking, why don't you, you know, why don't you tremor a little bit? Or why don't you like, you know, twirl your wrists around or jump up and down and yep. and see yep. how you feel. And, you know, see if that helps because that, that escalation, it, it's a sign that your body needs to release something. And if it doesn't get released in that kind of, more gentle way of like, I'm just going to throw a beanbag in the air. It could lead to a meltdown where then that expression of perseveration leads to punching walls or self-harming, or then like it can lead to another kind of perseveration where you get angry at somebody and then you get upset at yourself. It's like all the cycles of emotions. And, you know, ultimately, if a meltdown does happen... It's what your body needs to do to just get that energy out. So right. it's not something that needs to be shamed. Now, granted, it is important that that person doesn't harm themselves or right, do right. collateral damage. But, you know, sometimes meltdowns are just the way that we need to get that energy out. And that's, mm-hmm. that's okay. Um, I think that it's also important for autistic people to train themselves to recognize when they're starting to get there. And then have that safety plan of, okay, I'm perseverating and that's escalating me. Mm -hmm. What are my action steps to de-escalate me?
0: Right, right.
1: And and I do think it's good to have that neurotypical person there to give a little bit of structure and say, okay, I'm going to have you go for a walk or I'm going to turn on the treadmill. You're going to run as fast as you can. And then we're going to revisit this and see Mm. how you feel. So it's not just a, oh my God, I see you're angry hard pause we're not going there it's you know okay clearly you need to release something how do you feel after you've released that thing Mm
0: -hmm. and then
1: if they continue to get escalated you know do it in parts and then see where they go from there right Mm -hmm.
0: okay so you were going to talk about your own triggers
1: yeah yeah so i have a few um we talked about losing objects and I don't know. I mean, I can't tell you. I, one of the best stories I have is I, I perseverated on not being able to find my computer. And I just got so okay. angry because I, I just, I looked around my tiny apartment and I couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. And then my husband came over for a date. This was when we were, you know, dating. Right, right. And, uh, and i said god i can't find my computer and i you know and i have all these assignments due and and mm-hmm. what am i going to do if i can't find it and 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 i'm going into the damage control and the catastrophizing of like well i need to complete my assignment and what am i going to tell my teacher mm-hmm. and then my husband pulled back the covers of my bed and my computer is under my sheets there you go and i felt like such an idiot <laughs> and and nothing stops your perseveration like one of those moments where you go, oh, that's where it was. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. and <laughs> and I think that's, and we do kind of go into this uh, when we do talk about um, object permanence. Mm-hmm. That it's really important to have a routine of like always put your object in this right. certain place because, like, right. I I didn't think in my conscious mind that I would like shove my computer
0: right. No, it's it's not logical. Sh- yeah, under
1: my comforter. So right, you know, um. I just, I just have so many stories and I never learn. I'm, I'm soon to be 32 Mm -hmm. and I, and I continue to perseverate on the the losing of the objects. Mm. And I, and I'm like, you know, the, the best way that you can fix this is if you just put the object where, you know, you're going to find it. Right. And yet I, and yet I don't do that. So, so that, that's definitely a perseveration trigger. Um, as you know, From working on this podcast with me, Mm -hmm. I perseverate on technology struggles. Yes. So um, there have been a few times trying to set up, you know, various things for our podcast where I just get super, super frustrated because, Mm -hmm. like, you'd think, you know, you input information, press a button, it would just happen the way it happens, and it doesn't. And it's this combination magically work. I know, and and I just. I, I think I'm tech dyslexic or something, but I just, I get so frustrated about technology. Mm-hmm. And then I perseverate because I'm like, I want to overcome this tech problem, but I don't right. know how to overcome it. Right. And then I feel like I'm very dependent on somebody else to help me get through it. Mm-hmm. And I, and I do joke that I'm like one of the few autistic millennials that, can't stand technology and doesn't get mm. it. <laughs> and so yeah. yeah, so that that definitely is a huge source of perseveration. And I would say probably the biggest thing that I perseverate on is social interactions and social okay. skills. I am definitely a social perfectionist. I mm. perseverate on how to interact with somebody, especially during conflict or stressful mm. interactions, mm-hmm. so that I feel like I have control over how the interaction makes me feel. Right. And I realized that the reason I do this is because I'm very dependent on the people around me to make me feel regulated. Mm. And so for a while, I was like, well, maybe it's people pleasing, but I mm. didn't feel like I had low, en- low enough self-esteem to warrant that. But then realizing I have this hypersensitive nervous system mm. that struggles with conflict and and you know, these stressful interactions, then it made me realize, oh, that's why I want to have so much control. Mm. And so when I am talking my husband or my parents' ear off about like some stressful thing at work or in my personal life, and I just go on and on and on and on about it, it's like I want to understand every single little detail so then I feel powerful So that I can go into that interaction with that person, basically being the smartest one in the room, so that I have dictation of that person is not going to dysregulate me. So, So it's either that person needs to be persuaded to be calm so I feel regulated, or I need to be so perfect and so ahead of the curve, like thinking two steps ahead of the person that I'm afraid of interacting with that i go in feeling confident that that person even if they are upset is not Mm going to dysregulate me Interesting. so it's a big it's a big deep issue that i am working on with a therapist so i can't say that i've explored a solution with it i will say that it comes from a lot of trauma around first off the the trauma of being judged on my social emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. But then there's another component where I think a lot of my interactions that are toxic have some layer of ableism Mm -hmm. underneath it. And ableism Mm -hmm. is the, you know, the discrimination of people who have um, visible and invisible disabilities. Mm -hmm. And, And so I think that I guess I'm just trying to have perfect enough social skills to basically avoid adversity, which is just never going to happen. Yes. Um, Yes. Interesting. And, you know, I also perseverate majorly on saying or doing something offensive. Equity and inclusion is super important to me. Mm -hmm. And as somebody who has experienced stigma, uh, discrimination, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing, and it's hurt. And so I get very upset if I feel like I've done that same hurt to somebody else, but mm. at the same time, you know, we're human and we only know what we know, especially with an identity that we don't live with. Mm-hmm. And so again, it's, it's that like, you're going to make mistakes. You might offend somebody, but Absolutely. that's part of the learning of what to do differently, but that's really hard for somebody that's a social perfectionist. Um. And I had talked about this in our last episode that um, social skills has been a fixation and a perseveration for me. And Mm. I'm trying to let that go um, because I know how much trauma has informed both of those things. So I guess it's hard for me to get out of that perseveration loop when I'm anxious, angry, sad, Mm. dysregulated. And right. that's why uh, I really depend on other people to like ground me, and mm. some people will, and some people won't. So that's why it's really important for people with autism to have a set of tools to be able to ground themselves. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I you know I talk about somatic therapy and meditation a lot, and right, right. I think somatic therapy has helped with the perseveration because again the perseveration is a reflection of distress in my body that I'm trying to sort out in my head. Mm. And so when I'm able to process my body stress in somatic therapy, I'm able to release that hold of the perseveration in my head. And again, you know that that's what's really hard about people with autism is like we try to control everything externally and internally by by outsmarting it. Mm-hmm. and so we're we're constantly in our heads, like trying to just navigate how do we, how right. do we how do we become bigger than the thing that's going to set us off? Right. and And I think that's a big reason why we perseverate. So when we're able to process it in our bodies and recognize that our our body is also another tool for us to process stress, then mm. we don't get locked in our heads. And that okay. also helps us with flexible thinking
0: that makes sense. Okay. How about your experience with uh, perseveration in the classroom?
1: So with art, I, I used to teach high school drawing and painting. Perseveration can be a neurodiverse and neurotypical struggle. So, the I don't know. At the previous school we worked at, did you notice if any of our students were perfectionist?
0: Um, okay. So being a AP teacher, yes. <laughs> you see that all the time right yeah. so kids would get stressed out all the time if if things weren't um perfect so these are the uh you know type a personalities where every you know the notes have to be perfect the grade has to be an a you know um get super frustrated if they got a b on a test for example right so you see that a lot
1: yeah i think perfectionism definitely breeds perseveration that makes sense because we just can't we can't let go of that imperfect detail. Mm-hmm. So I I've worked in a lot of different school environments. And the most recent school I had worked at definitely had a culture. Now this is just the students themselves. The teachers are not okay. necessarily promoting perfectionism and overachievement. Right, right. But our students just felt like that that was just so important to them. And High school students experience a lot of challenges with flexible thinking and creative problem solving when they make mistakes on their projects. I would also say middle school students feel the same way mm-hmm. and so what what ends up happening is that when a student makes art and they want it to be so perfect on the paper and then they encounter an issue or they get hard on themselves because the image doesn't look exactly like how they picture it in their head mm-hmm. and and they they hit that wall of like, how do I make it look the way I want it to look in my head? And then they develop that black and white thinking of, well, right. this piece is going to look bad, so I'm going to throw it away and start it over. Right, right. And I can't tell you how many students I've had that like the day before a projects due they've just scrapped everything and they want to start over because what they're doing isn't working. Mm-hmm. And so what I try to do as a teacher is say okay, how do we solve this problem? Because you're going to be more resilient as an artist if you're able to have those creative problem solving skills when you make a mistake. And mm-hmm. and as somebody who has done art for you know my whole life and being in my 30s, I have that confidence in myself, not necessarily in my technical ability, but mm-hmm. to say, okay, the artwork isn't looking exactly the way I want it to, but I... I trust that I have a good enough problem solving ability that I can mm-hmm. figure out a way to make it work. And mm-hmm. and preteens and teenagers really struggle with that skill. Yeah. So um I'm just kind of taking a look really quick here. So so yeah, I think like to be able to teach them what does it mean to be a flexible thinker as an artist? What does it mean to be a creative problem solver? And and I even tell my students that are not passionate about art, they're just taking the art for the credit, but they want to do well mm-hmm. because they want that GPA. I tell them, like, you know, those creative problem solving skills benefit everything in your life, not just right. not just being an artist. So for sure. Um the other thing is, you know, both neurodiverse and neurotypical students can get so embroiled in their emotional drama. So I
0: think in high school, what? oh my
1: God, I remember when I was, um, when I was student teaching at an elementary school, you know, so, so the fifth graders, the fifth grade girls specifically, they were really starting to get into this girl drama energy. And,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I was, I was taking care of recess and these, these girls were just going at each other. You know, not physically, just verbally. Mm -hmm. And then they go into my classroom and they're like, you know, trying to pull me aside and they're crying and they're like, you know, pick my side and pick my side or whatever. And, uh, and I learned very early on, I had some, I had a great mentor teacher. The other teachers there were great and Mm -hmm. they were like, nip it in the bud. Like, so I remember, uh, you know, so this, this fifth grade girl, comes up to me and I'm like, sorry, you know, we gotta, we gotta get to work. And so she walks up to my mentor teacher and she, she just rambles and rambles. And he goes, all right, it's time for class. Like you gotta put your girl drama aside and get to work. And, and, you know, and then she pouts and then she goes and sits down. And I definitely think like that, that middle school preteen drama is definitely uh, a perseveration thing. Mm And and they don't want to focus on school. And so I do think it's yeah, important no for kidding. the teacher to redirect them and say, Hey, like you gotta you gotta be able to shelf it, mm-hmm. come back to it later or come back to it when you're calm. Um And so anyway, the only other time that I've seen autistic perseveration in the classroom is after they've been triggered by transition stress or sensory overload. That makes sense. Yeah, perseveration is a way for them to grasp control of a situation when they are barely keeping it together. Mm -hmm. So my reaction as a teacher is to either give them a brain break or help them redirect back to the project. Or, you know, sometimes my student has just got so much going on in their life that Mm -hmm. Making uh, an art project that doesn't resonate with them is just not what they need that day.
0: Right. And so
1: I say, do you want to go into a a little private room or go to the counseling office? Bring your sketchbook and just draw whatever you want. You know, and again, it's go. about making those intentional choices. And as a as an adult who recognizes what perseveration looks like in others, to be able to say, "Hey, I'm wondering if this would help you." Or right, say, right. Hey, like I, maybe if you don't like it, just try it and then come back, tell me how you're feeling, you know? Cause, mm-hmm. cause if they're perseverating and, and you're perseverating on like, you got to sit down and you got to do the work, like right, neither right. of you are winning.
0: Right. That makes sense.
1: What has been your experience with perseveration in the classroom?
0: So, you know, it's, it's understanding your students, knowing your students. So if I see a student that is stressed or hyper-focused on some aspect of a project that we're working on, you know, uh, what you were talking about earlier worked for me, too. It's like, let's stop, let's take a, a break, um, maybe physical break, go, go get a drink of water, go to the bathroom, come back. Um, or if we're stuck on a particular part of the project, um, let's, let's shelve that for now. I like that imagery. So we're shelving that for now. We're going to come back to it later. Let's start another aspect of the project that we can work on that's not frustrating you, and then we can focus on that later when we come at it from a fresh perspective. Mm-hmm. All right. So, what advice do you have for parents, teachers, or autistic people when it comes to perseveration? Or is that? So I. Uh,
1: well, I can answer first, and then you can. <laughs> Sounds. We're both. We're both going to talk about it. So I would say ad- address the root cause of the perseveration as soon as you can. And that's important for the person with autism as well as the um, the people supporting them. And and again, if if you are a neurotypical person supporting a person with autism, you mm. might catch on the root cause before that person with autism does, and mm. you're able to provide a new perspective. Right. Um, Give the person the option to take a brain break or to Mm -hmm. redirect back to a task. It's okay to intervene and get them to do something else because we autistics often can't get ourselves out of our perseveration hook. Encourage mindfulness and somatic grounding exercises that help us get out of our head or any sort of activity that helps us to move our bodies. Making art can also help. And, you know, another thing that works really great is adult coloring books. Mm. The... The great thing about adult coloring books is that they're so tiny and so detailed. And, and Mm -hmm. I have an adult coloring book myself and I have, I use really tiny art pens Mm. and just that, that ability to just like hyper-focus on a shape and trying to color in so carefully and meticulously, Mm. uh, you know, redirecting that hyper-focus to another channel can, can really help. Um, and, and again, sometimes when you're, when you're creating like that, then you kind of get out of it and you're like, oh, what was I freaking out about?
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know,
1: long story short, encourage us to do something that gets us out of our heads. Right. Um, practice active listening skills, um, autistic people perseverate because we are verbal processors or because we don't feel heard or validated in our concerns. And, you know, one way that can help that's not, you know, I'm going to sit there and be your therapist and listen to you for an hour. Um you can try what's called a dyad. So that's where two people are walking side by side, they're not looking at each other and and you say, "Okay, for a certain amount of time, you're going to talk and I'm going to listen." And right. there's not going to be any interruptions. There's not going to be questions. If you do have questions, save it for when it's your time to talk. And then You know, then that that pause happens, and then okay, now we're going to redirect to the other person. So then Mm -hmm. the neurotypical person might, you know, reflect back on like, okay, this is what I'm hearing from you. You know, these are the questions I have, or oh, here's how I relate to this. And then your time ends, and then it goes back to the person with autism. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's a little bit of structure with the back and forth, and the dyad where you're not looking at each other can also help because it it allows the person with autism not to make eye contact. Um, I, I forgot to mention this earlier, but like one thing that that's really hard for the listener of a person who's perseverating. And I'll just say this for me. Like when I perseverate with my husband, I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? Give me a solution. And there just comes a point where my husband's like, I don't know.
0: I don't know what your solution is. You know, no and
1: it's not even like that he doesn't care or he's burned out listening to me, but like he's hitting a wall because he's mm-hmm. like, I see you're distressed, but I'm not the person to be the right. resource that's going to help you out of right. that right. moment of distress, which then right. then doesn't get me out of my perseveration and he gets frustrated. Mm-hmm. And so I think that um, having that dyad or just having, again, having a limitation of how long you're talking helps everybody. And then right. and then again, you know, I think if if my husband's back in that place and then he says, Okay, so I see you're stuck. I don't have a solution. Who can you talk to that can give you a solution? Mm-hmm. Okay, we came up with some ideas. I see that you're still perseverating. What do you need to do to get that energy out of your system? So yes. that can empower a, a support person to help the the autistic person that's perseverating without feeling helpless, like, God, I have no idea what to do to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, that, and then the last thing I'll say is uh, for autistic adults, have some self-compassion that perseveration is the way that we deal with mental health distress. It's the way our brains are wired. Part of the reason we perseverate is because we are detail-oriented thinkers Think about the ways perseveration is a strength when it comes to problem-solving issues that you are passionate about. There's also a solution to get you out of perseverating that works for you. Don't listen to anyone's solutions that make you feel ashamed about being neurodivergent. Not every neurotypical person has the stamina to listen the way that we have stamina to talk. So it's important to find people that have patience and compassion rather than low frustration tolerance.
0: That makes sense.
1: What about you? What advice do you have to parents, teachers, or autistic people when it comes to perseveration?
0: Well, I think um, whether you're a parent or a teacher, for example, um, know yourself. Or if you're an autistic person, know yourself and know what um, can get you stuck. And then have some plan to help you get out of that. Um, For as a parent and as a teacher, you need to know... um, and have that into your 504 or iep so what worked for joshua and because we knew that he gets frustrated often is that um a we're we're having this document this iep that's going to spell out okay when this happens um allow joshua to have a brain break or a physical break um or something else that we can get him out of that so it's it's educating the teacher on on your child it's like yes this Joshua will get frustrated. He will get frustrated. And this is these are some things that have worked for us. Um, please incorporate those when you can, that type of thing. So it's it's being an advocate, not only for yourself, but for your child. And as a teacher, uh, just have an awareness of your, st- of your student's IEP 504 and allow that flexibility in your classroom to get those brain breaks um, to try to get, that, get them to snap out of that.
1: Yeah, and then do you have any thoughts about, if an autistic person perseverates in the workplace like- right
0: so again this is we've talked about this multiple times in the podcast is like what can you do you know it's it's no know, know yourself right so what can you do what are some things that you can do to advocate for yourself for um, a break or some kind of routines you know it, it all depends on how flexible your employer employment in your employment circumstance is right can you take a break whenever you want to or Do you really need to, you know, structure it? Like, so for example, if you don't have um, really a whole lot of flexibility when it comes to a a break, right? You have to have breaks because it's required by law. What do you do when you take that break, right? Are you going outside or are you meeting with other people, which might not um, get you out of that, right? So just kind of being aware of yourself and what your own needs. And then when you're able to um, take a break or unwind, you know, do that in a way that, that's you know helpful for you, or what you suggested in other episodes as well. If it's really, really intense, is like take that mental day,
1: mm-hmm. right? Actually, and then just, yeah, that's a really good point.
0: And then just advocate for yourself that way.
1: Yeah, um, I think my perspective on that is when we're students, when we're at home living with our parents, we automatically have that support system built in. And when you're in a workplace, you know a an employer or a coworker is not going to be as receptive to being that sounding board, that problem solver as like your allies are when you're a kid. and so mm-hmm. I think sometimes that disconnect can be really confusing for people with autism. I know I've had that experience with that, mm-hmm. and so I think that it really drives the point that. You need to understand your body well enough Mm -hmm. to know, okay, I'm starting to perseverate. What do I need right now? Do I need to talk to somebody? Do I need to uh, go for a walk? Do I need to journal? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then also a a tier beyond that, having that awareness of saying, okay, is the perseveration decreasing my anxiety or increasing it? Right. Um, And I know for me, when I perseverate, I'm like, I need to talk to somebody right now. And then, you know, but that, that doesn't work in the workplace, you know? And, and the thing is like, if we have parents that are like, okay, I'm, I'm pretty burned out, but I'm going to listen to you for an hour. An employer isn't going to do that. Coworkers might not do that. And, you know, and sometimes even if it is an environment like education where there is familiarity, you know, we're just so fried serving students. It's like, we just don't have that energy to support each other sometimes. Mm -hmm. And. No, Definitely. And so, again, I think it's it's about if you are going to seek out help, make sure that you develop that patience and that flexible thinking about mm-hmm. what you're going to do if that support person isn't available and you're perseverating. What Good are point. you going to do independently to care for yourself? Mm-hmm. And then if you are able to make time with somebody, how are you going to make that perseveration succinct? Like, What is the goal of you getting support from that person? and and really like honing it down to the most important points. So then you're utilizing the, the small amount of time that your support person has to then say, okay, this is what I recommend. And then you end it there. Right. And I think that that can be really hard for somebody with autism. So it's really good to have an ally in the workplace or having a personal support system to kind of help you slim things down. Or the other thing that, that helps me is um, I get a journal, I do automatic writing, and mm-hmm. I just, without thinking, I just put everything down on paper. And then maybe that way I can look at what I'm writing and I can highlight, okay, these are the core topics mm-hmm. that I need support on, mm-hmm. and then bring those topics in writing to the person that you're talking to. Mm-hmm um or or your
0: therapist right right or yeah well yeah
1: or your or your therapist um Mm -hmm. and and i also think like the other thing that's really hard is like if you're perseverating on something personal and then you want to air that out in the workplace like some people will listen some people will not right and so like it's it's being able to discern like my perseveration with this personal matter is not appropriate in the workplace Right. And so what am I going to do f- to care for myself so that I can be present in my job and mm-hmm. not let that personal perseveration weigh me down? And the reverse can also be true. You know, if you're perseverating about work, you're going to weigh down your spouse, your roommates, your mm-hmm. parents oh, absolutely. By constantly. So so it's it's about being able to have that balance. And again, like it, I'm certainly not saying people with autism should only take care of their perseveration on their own. But I right. do think my big advice to parents and teachers is you got to teach the person with autism how to regulate that perseveration by themselves. Right. And and then to be able to if they need support, how do they get support in a way that um how do I put this? It's not about the person uh feeling frustrated like, "Oh my god, I can't listen to you," you know, talk about this over and over and over but again it's about like okay what is the goal of the perseveration what are you trying to get out of right, this right. hyper focus like are you trying to vent are you looking for a solution mm-hmm. you know are you trying to process emotions that you're feeling disconnected to no you know yeah be really clear about the goal of what you want to get out of out of shifting out of that perseveration and the goal is going to impact who you go to for support
0: that makes a lot of sense yeah Okay, Uh, we have come to the end of our episode. So we have talked about what perseveration is. We have talked about the differences between perseveration and fixation or special interests. We addressed root causes. We talked about the neuroscience behind it, and when we talked, we also talked about perseveration when it becomes problematic. Um, And we finally we address some dos and don'ts of addressing perseveration. All right, our next episode is Autism and Low Frustration Tolerance.
1: Follow Understanding Autism on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to receive updates on our upcoming podcast episodes. I also make artwork and poetry to promote each episode. Subscribe to Understanding Autism on YouTube and listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play like, subscribe, and leave a comment. If you have questions for us, post them on our Facebook group or email us at Nicole at All
0: right. Thank you for tuning in and we will see you next week. Until then, I am Brett Bayer,
1: And I'm Nicole Cabellos.